1: more at 91 com. See you there, you donkeys! We're here to entertain you We'll sing your song lands playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along.
0: Hello, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsie Lori, and this week we are going to talk about the album Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones fucking rock and roll
1: each week on the one hit thunder podcast we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a one hit wonder artist with us and together we decide if that artist brought the one hit thunder or was nothing more than a one hit blunder you can find one hit thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts so hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun
2: each week all right so Gelsey, yes. you've You've been you've been telling me that you're going to make me a Beatles fan. You've been telling me, or uh, I'm already a Beatles fan. No. You've been telling me you're going to make yeah. me a Stones fan for for quite a while, and yeah, you know we've been kind of hitting this weird like all music themed month of May that wasn't planned, but we just kind of found our way there. Music May, and I happened to see that on May twelfth, the Rolling Stones' mm-hmm. "Exile on Main Street" turned fifty years old, which Says a lot about how old the members of the Rolling
0: Stones are. I know, I know. We just lost Charlie Watts not too long ago, the drummer, and I was really sad about that. They are my favorite band.
2: But I know that Exile on Main Street is like one of those albums that's widely considered like top tier Rolling Stones album. So I figured we'll use this as a way for you to teach me about the stones, but I do want to start with, is this your favorite stones album?
0: Oh, I was not expecting that. It's one of them. I, you know what? It's one of those things. And I think you might be able to relate to this on like for the Beatles. I do love the Beatles, but like they were more my teenage years. And then as I've grown up, I was like, Oh shit, I'm an adult now. I like the stones more where it depends like what my mood is on as far as what, but this is definitely, I would say one of my top two, like, if i could always pick like i went through a huge flowers phase which is much more of their like mid early like 60s kind of mother's little helpers on that album but this one yeah this is definitely one of like holds the top 2 place always and then okay. work, so the other one it is as top yes. tier as as yeah. it's been projected to be yeah right. well it it actually it what well, was the 12th american studio album the rolling stones came out with and it came out as a double album so there were two lps in there um but you said it's you know one of the top stones album it is considered one of the top albums of all times ever rolling stone magazine ranked it number seven in a list of 500 greatest albums of all time jesus yeah and (laughs) no no no. it's like huge and i think there's like a couple other if you go into like where it ranks on different one like vh1 what they put it like in the top five of something. So it's considered like no, no one in music had really done what they had done with this album, as far as the eclectic styles of, of where they went with it, because, you know, it's rooted, obviously they were considered like a rock and roll and kind of rock pop band. And this was the first time the stones were like, no, we are blues men. Like this is all bloated and rooted in blues, swing, country, gospel. And in the early Phases of their career in the '60s, when they did um, tours in the U.S., they would a lot of times get off the tour bus and just drive their own cars around, and they would tour through the Bible Belt of the U.S. And um, I believe I I read Keith Richards' book "Life" and his book. I think it starts off uh, with a story of them in the Bible Belt and how much um, he ended up getting arrested, and there was like drugs everywhere, and they're trying to hide him and stuff. It's a great story, but um, they they were obsessed with southern music they were obsessed with black music the blues and and it was like any interview you hear of like Keith Richards, he, in in his book, he's like, I am a blues man. You know, he doesn't consider himself like a rock and roller. It's like, he's, they are blues men first. And they loved that like gritty nitty. So I think this is like the first album you really get that full range from them of like, whoa, it's interesting. The reason, I mean, it's called Exile on Main Street. And I think kind of has this grit to it is because when they began recording the album in in 69 in England, like some of the songs during the album, Sticky Fingers is kind of when they started. But then they continued in 71, they were actually in exile, they had to leave England and leave their homes because of, um, for tax evasion reasons, they had a problem with their current manager who was, you know, they were like making so much money, but the kind of manager was taking it all and they were having difficulties with that, but still keeping up this rock and roll lifestyle of cars and this and that. And so it's like, for how much money they were making, even if they weren't getting it, the taxes were still owed and they just had no idea. And so it came to a point when they they owed so much money that they didn't have that money. And so they yeah. were bankrupt initially. So one of the options was to leave England. So they kind of did like a mini farewell tour in England and they all had to leave their homes. Their wives, kids, everyone came with them. So they went to the south of France and they were kind of spread out. I know Mick um, brought his... Girlfriend, And then ended up marrying her during this time, Bianca, they lived in, Bianca was in Paris and became pregnant at the time. And then um, Keith moved to um, N- Nelcote, which was like a big mansion uh, estate in the south of France in Villefranche, which is kind of close, like you would go to Villefranche um, to go to Monaco or Nice. Which I've been there and I like freaked out. I had a great meal and I was like, what? And it's I watched a documentary on this and I was kind of seeing like the landscape and where the house sat in Villefranche. And I was like, I swear I've seen that. And I was like, why did I not know when I was there that this is where this album was recorded? But anyways, so they were gonna spread out, but Keith Richards had Nelcott was the the villa or this I mean, it was huge. And they in the basement, like that's where they recorded this album was in the basement of Nelcott. And he lived there with um, Anita at the time, was it Anita, I believe, um, and and their child, but it, it was never empty. It was just kind of this open door. They were, you know, they, they never knew who was there, who wasn't there. And they would record in the basement and they had this like mobile truck and that's where the recording went through. So the wires would run from this mobile recording studio down through the house into the basement. And the basement wasn't this like one big, you know, you think of like that 70s show basement. It's like this big villa and it had different rooms and the acoustics were so weird. So they would all be in like separate rooms sometimes. Like the amp would be in the hall. Keith would be in one room playing while the drums were in the other room. And so they're all in separate rooms, all feeding into this mobile truck upstairs outside engineering manager recording like say like when he had to tell them something it was like he had run in from there and like run into all the different rooms to to relay a message so it's kind of this like crazy clusterfuck recording session and going back to you know so they're they're also living as exiles and they're, they're living in France that none of them speak French they don't you know have anything from home with them and one of the guys was talking about even just getting things that he liked, like his tea and British goods. And it's like, he's like, I, I didn't have any of that. And so there's this kind of feeling that they have. And I think it really goes into the album. And I think it's kind of what made it so amazing. But at the time the band was Mick Jagger, who's on lead vocals, who's still obviously still a key player, Keith Richards, who's your lead guitar you know, rhythm um, and also lead vocals. Charlie Watts, who R.I.P. was their drums. Um, But he joined not too shortly before this. He joined in 69 after Brian Jones left. And then Mick Taylor was the lead guitarist who later Ronnie Wood would take over in 75. But this is Mick Taylor. And then um, Bill Wyman was bass. Um, Bill Wyman doesn't stay with the group very long. He's or after this, he, he leaves a few years later. But those are our key players. And then they did bring in people came to France. Like Nick, Nikki Hopkins was on keyboard. Bobby Keys was their saxophonist. Um, they actually had like a ton of people come, but Bobby Keys had a really big part in it and had played with them for quite a bit. And he's this like Southern, I think he's Texan or something, like American. I was listening to interviews with him and he's just like, yeah, you know, there was just booze everywhere and this and that's rock and roll. And he's like 20 something, they're all little <laughs> shits. And it's, it's amazing. But you know, it kind of got described as like this, you don't just have the members of the Stones there. It's them, a lot of them, are, you know, maybe their kids or partners. And then you have the extra couple musicians that were on the album. And then you have the recording engineers, the manager, and maybe their kids. And so it just became this like huge tribe that lived there. And, and they would play in the base. like it, they never were all there at the same time either. Like they might be, but it wasn't like, they were like, okay, tomorrow we're going to start playing at 12 pm this that it was you know some of them lived 6 hours away so they would just stay a couple of days and then go back to their families you know sometimes Mick wasn't there for periods of time cuz he was in Paris and Bianca was newly pregnant so it was just kind of like whoever was there would play and they would just jam and someone said that it just was kind of this like shit show like they would play like terrible music for hours and hours and hours and just kind of work on one song and one of them said there'd be a moment when Keith would just kind of get up and and he'd look over at Charlie And they would, he'd kind of get control and then they'd all just kind of come together. And then they're like, and it was beautiful. And it was like, that's, there would just be this moment where like, this is going to happen. And, and it would click and I, it's so cool, but yeah, it's, it was kind of a crazy time. And this is also when. Keith Richards is like heavily into smack and he's, he's on the heroin train at this point. And so he even says, you know, I'd I'd be sleeping and I'd wake up and there'd be music and I realized I slept a whole day or like it was, they had a lot of drug use and um, Bill Wyman said in his memoir, it's called stone alone. He said there was a real division between members, who, which is great. Members who freely indulge with drugs, which had been Mitch, Richards, Miller, Keys, and Taylor, and those who abstained to a varying degree, which was like Wyman, Watson, Jagger, weren't weren't as heavily into it. There's like tensions and and whatnot, and just very unorganized.
2: Well, let me ask. I I, I want to stop you to ask a quick question about this because okay. I know that we went through how well reviewed the album was. I'm kind of curious because, I, again, I'm not the biggest Stones guy on the planet, but I know my fair share of Stones songs. And when I was scrolling through the track list, there wasn't anything that jumped out at me as like a massive Stones hit. Was this kind mm-hmm. of one of those albums that wasn't as big at the time of release as it was when people retroactively came back? To
0: yes. It? Yes and no. So when it first was released, it had mixed reviews and had some poor. People were like, "What is this? this? Isn't what we know from the Stones?" And it, but in not sh- too long after, like still in the '70s, it kind of like took time for people to marinate with it, and it had um, a positive reassessment. And then reviews came out that were like, "This is the most brilliant thing that's ever been put out." So it wasn't like it took until there was a, re, a remaster and re-release in 2010 of the album. And it's not like it took until then for everyone to look back and go, oh, wow, we were wrong. Like, that was actually so impactful. It it was within the same, you know, just a few years later. I I think people just had to sit with it and and revisit it because it was different and because it wasn't exactly what everyone had gotten from the Stones before. It is one of those albums that you can listen to it and, and you listen to a few songs and you're like, oh, okay. But even for myself with it, the more I've listened to it, the more I've realized What genius is in there and what songs are like, holy shit, this is cool. And then when you dive into how where they come from and maybe how they came up with some of these songs and and where the inspiration of the blues riffs and how they, you know, it it's really quite cool. There's there's a really good documentary called Stones in Exile, and I I just watched it this week. And it's about an hour long. Like if you're interested in seeing more footage and just kind of on directly this phase where they're making this album and they're in France. This, this documentary is really cool. But um, there was one Bobby Keys was talking, who's was a saxophonist um, and he had to like help Charlie Watts, who's a brilliant drummer, like find the beat on one. Cause there was just these different beats and rhythm rhythm with the blues Ooh, this- and stuff. And he's like, and I was sitting there clapping along. And he's like, I don't know what, cocky <laughs> idea I got and little shit. I was thinking that I can tell Charlie Watts how to, where the two and four is, you know, but I was, and he was listening and you know, just kind of <laughs> that idea. I was dying. Well, and I
2: do think that you're right. Like, it, you know, this was my first listen to it today, mm-hmm. getting, getting ready for this recording. And it is kind of like, I can see where people would be kind of put off by it at first, but it is a very, I want to say inconsistent, but but like you said, it, it doesn't kind of follow like a, just because the first song starts the way the first song starts, don't expect that to be the sound that follows for the entire album type vibe. It, it mm-hmm. definitely is the sound of experimentation. And this mm-hmm. was, you said in the
0: 70s when this came out? It was released in 72, yeah. And yeah, they, so they really like- did the bulk of it, 71 was, Yeah.
2: I don't know. I feel like shame on the the listeners of the seventies in the sense of like, you've already had like four years of the Beatles putting out these records that have no consistency and you worship that. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I, don't understand. I think it was, like,
0: yeah, I think, I think it was just, they weren't ready for, it's not so much that it was like experimental. And so all over the place, I just think it's, it's kind of like when we get an artist now who say like is a rap artist and they drop a jazz album and you're like what we don't like that you know it's kind of that idea that it's we want to categorize people so much and i think even mick was saying this in one of his interviews that that people do that and that they wanted to get out of that box to show him he says oh that's it he was like the stones is one of the most eclectic bands ever and he's like we're not just rock and roll and we're not just pop or we're not, you know, we're also blues and gospel. And, and he's like, we've grown up individually with our own styles. And he's like, of course I loved Elvis and this and that shows, but also, you know, I loved the blues and Keith Richards grew up on, you know, muddy waters. And and when he's talking about, and it's just like all of their individual influences. And then they came together and they would hear something and they really dove in to the South and the Bible belt. And they would go to black jazz clubs and black blues clubs and, and really attached to that and pulled and were so inspired. And that was their, I mean, that was their thing. And so it's, it's, um, I, I agree with what he said. They, they are one of the most eclectic, bands but everyone just thinks oh they're you know a 60s rock band and oh classic rock i can't get no satisfaction which is a fucking great song but yeah this was really like the first time they got to like just go off on their own and i think this they produced this album themselves they were had been in a lawsuit with the i think it was AKO or um their previous label they kind of separated from so you know they they got to do it all
2: and that i, I mean i think that that's true as well and there's also a piece of uh, I always talk about how a lot of this type of music uh, we we did. We discussed this briefly on the the Weird Owl podcast, but the idea that like. Very few bands outside of the I, w- I would put the Rolling Stones in the exception to the rule, do justice uh, doing what I would refer to as like white guy blues. <laughs> like uh-huh. there's like, it always feels like there's a little bit of soul missing in a lot of it, but I don't get that from,
0: no. from the Stones.
2: If, I feel like if, you really feel the, the sincerity mm-hmm. and the appreciation of the genre. Oh, in that. It's
0: so true. Especially if you watch any live, um, performances of them doing these songs, which I was so honored to see them do a couple of these songs when I went to their concert and I like flipped my fucking shit. You can see it and and obviously feel it, but it's YouTube, any video of them singing these songs, and it's just like they are a lot. It's so cool to see. And it's yeah, it's really it's not just like, oh, we like this song, so we're gonna do it, which a lot of artists I think do, but it's it's in their soul. Yeah. It's it's there. And on um yeah, on that oh a fun thing about this I said it re released in 2010 I forgot to say it's one of I think this might have been the first time this ever happened or it's very rare that um it was re released in 2010 and it went back to the album hit number one in UK and number two in the US when it re released in 2010 which doesn't happen when you re-release an old album a lot you know it'll go up but it's competing so it just kind of shows that it stands the test of time if you will well and that's the
2: thing that's funny is that like like i said i didn't notice i didn't recognize any of the songs on the back but i was very aware of like this album like Mm i it's it's an album that's definitely not like it's definitely not not discussed you know what I mean like it's, mm-hmm.
0: but it's yeah know, it's not like a say okay we all know like Sgt. Pepper's is always talked about because it's like Sgt. Pepper but you can look at the song list and there might be a handful if you're not a deep dive Beatles fan that you'll be like I never heard of that song but you're gonna have your main songs that still are the big number ones
2: exactly yeah. and, and it's not and it's also not like oh this was like this weird album that there was only like a hundred copies of before the band no, got this is signed like huge... Obscure. like this is a yeah. beloved Huge, well respected, talked about album. Mm -hmm. So I could see like that that interest being that like I've heard nothing but good things about this album, but I've never heard this album. So when this Mm -hmm. re release comes out, being like, well, I just got to get all of it. I need I need to hear the whole thing.
0: Yeah, no, it's a it's a great album. I do highly recommend listening to the whole thing. But I will, um, we won't go through every track. I just want to hit basically the songs that I sent you that are my favorites. Yeah, Um, let's
2: let's start. We're going to talk about
0: those. So, um. You know, starts off with "Rocks Off," rip this joint. Those are great songs, super fun. But my first favorite song, which actually was not written by the Stones, it's I think the only cover on the song is "Shake Your Hips." Um, yeah, and I think I "Shake
2: Your Hips" is a bad Oh. I and liked it, it from written, the second I heard oh, it. Oh, it's that's so a good. good. Just
0: a... <laughs> dun, 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 dun. It, it's, it was um, written by Slim Harpo, who's a Louisiana bluesman. And it was released in 66. So it wasn't like this, you know, blues song from the 30s, or which happens a lot. But it's this is like the epitome of a good sitting on the porch, blues, muddy waters kind of feel song. Um, so Shake Your Hips, I love. I not much to say about it other than that. But that's... I do love that. Um, so the next song that I'm gonna hit, um, they do Casino Boogie. To, it to, they're all great songs, but Tumbling Dice is my next highlighted one, and that was the one that did get huge off the album. I believe it hit number seven on the charts um, when it came out, but that that was their big single, first. and they got their inspiration because Mick asked. He was like talking to the maids about different stuff and they the maid loved gambling and kind of had this obsession so they were playing with dice and she would always play dice and so he got that inspiration for the song through that which i love
1: 91 donkey lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power but lacks intelligent inhabitants What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91DonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys.
0: The lyrics are about a gambler who can't remain faithful to any one woman, which is great so stonesy
2: yeah no i enjoyed that one too um you also one of the ones that you did tell me to pay extra attention to we did kind of breeze past it you mentioned it but i really did like rip this joint like rip this joint goes i love it's, rip this joint yeah we just kind of skipped straight past it into sh- shake your head Well, because i was kind of going
0: i'm like more talking about the ones that i like specifically highlight uh, that's yeah i didn't mean to be like and eh, rip this joint but They're, um, that's why I'm like, the whole album is great, but I just, oh God, we can't go. Okay. So the next song after Tumbling Dice, that Sweet Virginia, this is one of my all-time favorite Stone song. And when I went to their concert, they, they had their main stage and did it. And then they pulled forward to a smaller stage and they all walked kind of on a catwalk to this smaller stage and came up with just acoustic instruments. So there was like a band, Mm -hmm. a drum set set up already. Keith came out with his acoustic guitar and they all you know, had his harmonica. And so I ran over and got like right in front, even though eventually I think I got told to move, but I was like, whatever. And they played Sweet Virginia there. And it was just one of those moments that I couldn't, I was like, pinch me. I thought I was dreaming. Sweet Virginia is another super bluesy back porch. Um, but it's, it's super, um, how do you describe this? You know, it's, it has a lot of drug innuendos in the lyrics ref refers pills and low-grade heroin. It's, you know, drop your reds, drop your greens and blues. Um, and I hid this speed inside my shoes, the lyric and, and the lyric that keeps repeating is got to scrape that shit right off your shoe. And yep. um, they're beautiful backings. They always have the best backing vocals for them. And it always brings in that like amazing Southern gospel feel. So Mixed voice on this, like, come on, come on down, sweet Virginia. Like, it's I, something about it. So I am just sitting here geeking out about it.
2: So, <laughs> but I'm loving it. I mean? It's adorable. Uh, it's, but yeah, I fucking
0: I, love this album so much.
2: I, I uh, That song, uh, again, like, I had gotten to a point where I was just kind of listening to it and I wasn't paying attention to the the tracks as closely as I probably should have. But as soon as you sang that, you know, get the shit off your shoes, I'm like, yep, I know I enjoyed that one. I remember that. Yeah, and that's distinctly. the thing about like,
0: that's the thing about this album is it's a you can put it on and just kind of go, eh, none of these songs are like standout. It's just good blues music, whatever. But the more you kind of just like take one song and I would Sweet Virginia was one for me like it would just kind of come on more and more because I would just listen to the Stones only for a phase of my life and every time it came on I was like god like I could just feel it and I was like damn this song is good like why from the first harmonica how it starts and you're just like it you just feel it and I was like, Holy shit, this is good. And I that's why I think it took a while for it to get a positive review. Cause I, I think this is one album that you don't just listen and go, Oh my god, this is the most amazing creative thing I've ever heard. It it's like you gotta let it sit in your bones for a minute. And then it's like, whoa. And I think sometimes that's the that's the deepest shit that you're like, the 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 true art sometimes doesn't hit right away. It's it's not a yeah. yeah. That's my opinion. Torn and frayed is great. Black Angel is great. Has a good again. It, it's almost like you can hear that they were like in different rooms on Black Angel. A, she's a sweet black angel. Yeah, she's a sweet. yeah. yeah. Remember um, that one? <laughs> okay, here comes my one of my next favorite songs, "Loving Cup." Loving Cup is just the lyrics are so good. It's give me a little drink of your loving cup. Just one sip, I'll fall down drunk. What beautiful, brilliant lyrics. So obviously I love this song. There is a great version of this song. There was a documentary that Scorsese made called Shine a Light, which is one of their songs that we will get to because it's another fucking one of my favorite songs. And he follows the stones and whatever, but they kind of are doing the Shine a Light concert in this documentary and during this performance, different celebrities or like guest artists come in and sing with them and do different things. So like, I think Christina Aguilera came out and sang Nasty Habits with them and Muddy Waters comes out with them and does a number. So Jack White does Loving Cup with them and Jack White and Mick Jagger are singing this together and Jack White also has guitar. And it's such an awesome
1: rendition. Like,
0: Yeah, you have to watch it because Jack Jack White's amazing. I do too fucking loved the white stripes and i like his single um solo stuff too so he was just like the perfect person to come out in and do this one with and that i think it was that documentary when i saw it and that version that got my attention of loving cup and it's been one of my favorite songs since and again yeah, it's I just i out. mean they all carry it it's all they're playing but mix singing and his energy through it is what no one else could sing these the way he does but speaking of someone else singing So Keith Richards has his song Happy on this album, and that was the only song, I believe, because this entered number 22 on the charts. Yeah, and Happy was the only single by the band to chart the Hot 100 where Richards sang the lead. Oh, look at that. So that's, yeah. And I do love, I think Happy was the B-side to Tumbling Dice because it came out as a single. So it was Tumbling Dice and Happy where we're on the single and it's a great number. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Cause I, I do love Richard's songs. He's got a really cool, he's got such a different sound voice and, and vibe than Mick Jagger and, which I think they beautifully combined together. But I do kind of like his rougher, rough around the edges feel to it. Um, He's such a fucking cool cool person his I I listened to his audiobook of of his book and it, it was a 24-hour audiobook that's how <laughs> long that book is <laughs> but it's cool he that's reads some of it Johnny Depp reads some of it um there's a third person that comes in and reads some of it so it's like a really cool anyways ventilator blues is great I just want to see his face is um a real good gospel take me to church vibe has they just nailed it we got "Let It Loose." All down the line is another great. They're all like I could say something about all of them, but I'm just trying to get to light. I was
2: gonna say you're you're <laughs> you're just going through the track list at this point. It is it is really good. I was so my favorite. Really okay, there you go. This is back, the final. Oh,
0: there's one more song. It's so good. So my my last favorite song on this album is "Shine a Light," and that's inspired Scorsese to name his documentary on them "Shine a Light," and it is. so... Such a fucking good. I mean, this is like blues gospel rock had the perfect child. And it Mm -hmm. is this one. And it's just (laughs) from the start of just piano accord. So you reached out and stretched. you know, that like start and how it just picks up into you can feel the whole congregation's hands up at the end. It's so like I love this song so much.
2: That's a really good way to describe the sound of that. though. Yeah, like it's it is. Yeah, church, it's church hands in the air. Just ready.
0: Shine a light was church heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So this album is.
2: I apologize. <laughs> I'm seeing I why you sure. were when I pitched this idea, you didn't even hesitate to be like, yeah, we're going to do that. Because I was like, I don't know. This might not even be that that big of an album to you. But clearly. Oh, my God. No, I it fucking love
0: this album. <laughs> Wait, which song was it that... Hang on. There was one song... Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. So this is going back to Casino Boogie. I was like, I couldn't remember which. Mick Jagger, like couldn't come up with lyrics for it, or he was just like, ah, I don't know what to do. So he wrote random phrases onto torn pieces of paper and just put them in a pile and mix them all up. And then like one by one, the band members would just like pick out a line and be like, okay, that's the next line, and pick out a line and be like, okay, that's the next line. I think
2: Radiohead did that as well, actually.
0: Did... Oh, really?
2: For the album Kid A, I think Tom York said he, he couldn't figure out what he wanted to write about after OK Computer, but he had written down just like random lyrics and kind of similar vibe. He just put all the random lyrics that he had written during his writer's block into a hat and would just kind of pull these like verses out and just be like, all right, that's that's this verse and then pull up the next one and be like, well, that's the next verse, I guess.
0: Yeah. And it's like, it's, you never would, you would just be like, oh, wow, like they must metaphorically be talking, but it's, yeah, yeah, the words are no good, can't speak, wound up, no sleep, skydiver inside her, slip rope, Stunt fire, wounded lover, got no time on hand, one last cycle, thrill freak, Uncle Sam, pause for business, hope you'll understand, judge and jury, walk out hand in hand, Dietrich movie, close up boogies, kissing, cuttin' cans. <laughs> oh. Didn't know that word. Yeah. Um, I think it's the first time that word appeared on this podcast. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Gelsie saying the C word on air. Whoopsie. If you know what, it's like the rule when I was a kid and my dad let me say the F word if it was for comedy. If I was about to tell a joke that said fuck, I had every permission in the house. I wish I
2: had that rule. I I had to come up with a way to say it and it always just made the joke worse. It didn't do anything to help anything. (laughs) Oh no,
0: I'd be like... Can I say the F word? I'm about to tell a funny joke. My dad's like, yes, in the lieu of comedy, always. But um, anyways, yeah, this album is really cool. The album cover, the art is really awesome. It's a bunch of different, it's kind of like a scrapbooky feel, different black and white photos. And Jagger even like talked about it. And he says it um, reflects the Stones' as runaway outlaws, using the blues as its weapons against the world and showcasing the feeling of joyful isolation, grinning in the face of a scary and unknown future. So that's kind of like even the vibe they were going through during the recording of this album. And so he really was happy with the art of the front. During the 2010 re-release, they released 10 more tracks that didn't make it on the original. And I have not listened to those. And I just realized that I'd never known before. So I saw and I was like... Oh my god! So so
2: I've probably heard more of this album than you. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the version I listen to. You're not feeling it in your bones
0: like I am. You're not (laughs) feeling it in your bones.
2: I can tell you the exact point where I actually started to dive in a little bit to the Stones. Obviously, not the level that you dove into the Stones, but I'm a this might come as a surprise to listeners who think that I'm just the coolest guy on the planet, but I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan.
0: I love Wes Anderson.
2: So when I was watching Royal Tenenbaums, there's a scene where they're like in this little makeshift tent and they're listening to the stones and they're specifically listening to the song. She smiled sweetly. And mm-hmm. I had never like, I'd never heard that song and it was so different to what I was used to by the Rolling Stones from like, their radio singles, where I was like, Oh, this actually feels Beatlesy. And I feel like that was kind of the thing that made me start diving in a little bit more was that I used to not understand the Beatles versus the Stones comparison because I was they're like completely
0: different though. They're and very that different. people. Yeah, people try to compare them and I'm like, and they were very good friends. That's yeah, one fun I, thing is that they actually were friends. I think
2: that the better comparison, and, and I mean, they are also really good friends, but I think like Beatles Beach Boys makes a little bit more sense because they were both like really yeah. getting weird and experimental and trying to one-up mm-hmm. each other a lot Yeah, I don't more. think
0: people realize how much I, of course, would love to get into the Beach Boys um, and we'll find a way to creatively do it without just being- Hey, summer's coming Boys.
2: around. There's never- oh, gosh.
0: And there's nothing <laughs> more- Cal- Like to me, I just jamming around California with my windows down blasting the Beach Boys is my most California- life I can live. I'm sure you Um, drive
2: past people and they're like, oh, look at that tourist.
0: (laughs) I used to listen to the Beach Boys when I lived in New York and it was like a snowstorm and I still had to walk to dance and I was like (laughs) bundled up and I fucking hate the snow in winter because I'm a California girl. Um, Or if it was like really cloudy, I would listen to the Beach Boys and they would make my day sunny. Like yeah. I would always listen to the beach boys when it was a snowstorm to make yeah, me there's happy.
2: definitely going to, there is definitely going to be a beach
0: boys episode. Yeah, your- but, but they did, but- they got very experimental and psychedelic. And I don't think people realize that musically, even like good vibrations. It sounds just like this. Yeah. Like I'm giving yeah. up good vibrations. Like, yeah, but it was a wacky weird, like what he was doing and bringing into the recording studio. People were like, you're fucking hot. I and mean, he probably was, but like, yeah. like this is crazy. <laughs> you're insane. This hasn't been done. And and that's what the Beatles were doing where The Stones really didn't get to that kind of level. They were more interested in diving into like the soul of rock and soul and blues. And that's the difference. And that's
2: what I was picking up on was Mm -hmm. I was like, when I heard She Smiles Sweetly, like, could I say, oh, that's comparable to something on Sgt. Pepper where the Beatles are at their full blown like weirdness? No, but like stuff like that, I'm like, this could, you could switch this out with the song on Rubber Soul and I wouldn't be able to tell the difference because it has like, that that era Mm -hmm. of like oh this is just kind of a chill you take in the lyrics they're beautiful lyrics they're like like it almost felt i you know what it is i feel like george harrison would have felt more at home in the stones in a weird sense like the few Mm -hmm. george harrison songs
0: i love feel like they could
2: they feel like they could have been stone songs but that's the only real Mm
0: -hmm.
2: connective tissue between the two of them it's so weird to me that they're like the comparison of like, oh, you're either a Stones fan or a Beatles fan. And, and so I think it's not even both. those
0: I think the thing <laughs> that why people say you're either one fan or the other, and I don't think it's to compare them. I don't think it's like in sync versus Backstreet Boys. I think it's more like, well, what kind of person are you? Do you like yeah. to watch thrillers or do you like comedies? Like you wouldn't compare them, but it's I think it just people either lean one way or the other. They they can like both, but I think yeah you know, it's you like, like, I'm a comedy
2: person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, and I used to be, a, you know, as a teenager, I was like, like Beatles, they were my life when I was 15. And I still liked the Stones. I listened to the Stones. And as I got into my 20s and now into my 30s, like I'm diehard Stones fan versus the Beatles. And I love the Beatles for what they did for music. And and they still, you know, there's so many reasons clearly that I hold them so dear in my heart. But um yeah, I'm I'm am I'm a blues girl, I guess.
1: There uh, there we go. It is mind-blowing and
0: heartbreaking.
1: How many original scripts are written every year but are never made?
0: So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors.
1: Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies
0: made of paper.
1: Wherever you get
2: your podcasts. Free. So galsy. One of the things that you brought up while we were talking about Rolling Stones was how you were a Beatles gal for a really long time. And then Mm -hmm. later on in your life, you kind of discovered this whole other world of Rolling Stones. Has there been any other bands that maybe in your younger years, not that you dislike them, but they were just kind of like a band that was sort of there that had a few songs you liked? that later, maybe in your 20s, you were like it just blew open this whole new world of of songs to you.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say I got into deeper, because when I was a teenager, I I definitely was like so into classic rock. And so I, I'd still listen to a lot of Stones and like the Kinks. I would say the Kinks are another one where I definitely listened to a few songs when I was younger, but I have really dove into their whole song list and they they got some good shit, man. We got to do the Kinks because I they're definitely like, a godfather of punk rock yeah i would th- you know what i think a lot of like alternative bands in the 90s when i was like super young and i was kind of too young to know what was current i dove into and then even in like the early 2000s like weezer green day um modest mouse like that kind of phase of music my sister was really into and i was three years younger than her and i still was in kind of this like just oh, you're an idiot like you know, she was trying to find her own and be like the rebellious teen. And I was still trying to like be mom's perfect angel. And so I didn't let myself like a lot of that because it was like she did. And now I'm re-listening to it as an adult. And I'm like, God, this shit's good.
2: The two big ones, one was through a documentary. um, And I think we should do an episode about this person because I think he's fascinating. Harry Nielsen. Are you familiar mm. with Harry Nielsen at all?
0: Oh my gosh. I used to set my alarm to gotta get, get up, up, gotta get up. Because out, of, because gotta of Russian go.
2: doll or just
0: It uh, was because of Russian doll, but I love <laughs> I love Lime in the Coconut. That is yeah. one of my favorite songs. And then I did say it's a terrible song to set for your alarm though, because it starts with this abrupt like dun 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 dun, dun piano, and I was like ah! and I was like, okay, this was like a funny, clever song to set, but that is like not good for my <laughs> and
2: not a then way he- to start your day. The other one is my uncle's band. Uh, My uncle's in this, this large cover band. If you'd like to know more about them, you can even seek out their podcast, the Chico's Vibecast. Once a month, they take a song from their set list and kind of break down like how they learned it and transposed it. And some of their memories growing up, listening to that song before they became like a cover band that would play it frequently. And it's a, it's a nice little interesting podcast, but they recently did an episode on Chicago's 25 or six to four. And I'm not a
0: Chicago fan. See,
2: and I was going to say, I was reminded how much I really like Chicago. Like that is like hard rock with horns. Like (laughs) it's like these really like heavy driving stuff with multiple harmony vocals and stuff. So uh, maybe check out like the first two or three albums. No, I know. I
0: could. I've I've listened to that stuff. And it's. I'm not saying it's not good. It is. And I I respect what they have. There's just some bands that like my ear just doesn't connect. Yeah. it just doesn't, I don't connect to it. Yeah. And like, I will change the channel. Like a lot of times the Eagles are like that for me where I'm like, eh.
2: I, see. And, and I feel the great. same way. They're with doing Eagles great for stuff, but like
0: yeah. Eagles, most of Pink Floyd and Chicago, like there's, they each have songs that yeah. I do stand out and they're all amazing bands and did something so different. People like rip me apart for the Pink Floyd comment. Um, I get it all the time, but see, I agree each, with you I, on
2: Pink Floyd more than I, I agree with you with Pink Floyd just, and the Eagles.
0: For <laughs> some reason Chicago. it just doesn't, I'm just like, eh. <laughs> like, Good, good, but eh, yeah.
2: Very strange. Well, if people have other bands that they got into way too late, where can they let us know about them?
0: Yeah, please let us know about those bands you got into way too late on Facebook. Search Before My Time and we'll pop up and be like, hey. And then on Instagram, you can search at Before My Time underscore podcast. You can also give us a five-star review if you feel like it because what a cheeky thing to do. Um, And it's you know what? It's a little late, like you found that band too late, but it's still beautiful. I know you've been listening to this podcast. You can give us those five stars a little late. It's still beautiful. Love you guys. Bye. Love that I watched a whole fucking documentary, and all I can be like is like, "It's so good." <laughs> I didn't take notes during it; I just enjoyed it. And so,
1: you're listening to the Geekscape Network. Ninety One Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening?
2: I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did.
1: Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91DonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.